this episode of The Fool Nerd, the fastest gaming CPU ever, Ryzen 7 wins laptops and Windows 10 2004 preview. Welcome to the Full Nerd episode 137. I'm your host, Gordon Mong, with special guest Mark Hawkman. Morning, everyone. And as always, Adam Patrick Murray controlling the vertical and horizontal. Entering day 2658 of quarantine. Yeah, uh, it feels like know, it. Yeah. <laughs> are you are you putting checks up on the wall or something? Oh man, I <laughs> like, should. Oh, I should have started just yeah, just a little check yeah. every day. Dang it. Yeah. It's uh, prison life. Like, you right? can still fake them. You can fake them and take a picture and talk about how you've done, done something cool. <laughs> but you know what I want to talk about? Even more exciting? What, the, the world's best gaming CPU? Yeah. No, nah, that's actually the world's fastest gaming CPU, oh, right? Fastest. That is actually fastest yep. gaming CPU, which I didn't catch. I didn't really catch that difference there. Um, Mark is going to catch us up on 10th gen. Sure. Intel Comet Lake S, which means desktop stuff. But uh, I'm going to hold my comments until Mark gives you the quick update in case you haven't caught up on everything. Yeah. So obviously we've had uh, AMD sort of lay down a, a straight or a straight flush the past few weeks with the 3974 or sorry, the 3950X and the 3900X. Uh, it's this time it's Intel's turn to talk about its next gen, 10th gen common like S processors. And these are desktop chips. Now, the one thing that, I mean, immediately, I mean, if you're in the comments section and you're saying, you're, you're saying to yourself, I mean, AMD is going to wipe the floor with this. I mean, there's some justification for this. I mean, the first thing that we notice here is that these are 10th gen parts, but they're not 10 nanometer parts. These are still 14 nanometer. Uh, we're on the plus plus, still in the plus plus generation. I think at this point, uh, Intel engineers are walking into the cafeteria and just flashing plus signs like gang signs to each other. I mean, you know. <laughs> You know, you can just go ahead and roll a 1D4 for plus signs, you know, save against will for confusion, the whole thing. I mean, at this point, um, you know, most of the world has definitely moved on. Intel still hanging on with its last vestiges of 14 nanometer. Um, however, um, it's obviously um, pushing the limit, pushing the envelope in terms of clock speeds. Um, right now, we've got a high of 5.3 gigahertz with the 10 sorry the core not core i9 10900k which intel is claiming is the fastest gaming processor um it's making that claim based upon things like turbo boost and so forth and i think that we're going to get into a little bit about how intel is actually i think trying to maintain sustained turbo boost as a way to sort of uh, get around that core advantage that Ryzen has and get around uh, the clock speed, uh, uh, the parity in clock speeds, I think, between the two processors. So, um, again, another thing to consider when you're talking about these 10th gen chips is that the power consumption has also increased. Uh, the TDPs are now at uh, 125 versus 95 before. And of course, the Ryzen is still at 105 watts. So if you're into TDP, and I think that's a valid comparison, and I think it's a valid concern, you know, Intel again is looking down or looking up if you, however you want to put it, at Ryzen. Um, we have a couple of slides from the presentation, which Intel shared with us, which I think Adam is putting on the screen right now. We have yeah, got number one essentially up. the standard lineup of Core i9, Core i7, 
Core i5 and down to Core i3. We've got a couple of things that are mixed in there. We've got the standard K-series, the unlocked processors, so a couple at the top. Um, we've got the, the, the F uh, suffix in there, so you've got the option of buying uh, a CPU without uh, the integrated GPU, uh, which is, in fact, the uh, UHD 630, which was in, uh, the same as the essentially the ninth-gen chips. There's um, a little bit of variation in terms of the clock speeds there that the store that we wrote on PCWorld.com goes into. Uh, but essentially, you know, we're looking at discrete GPUs anyways. Um, again, the KF, uh, the, the K-series, the KF, um, and then we go down to, uh, I said, like, cause like I said, the Core i5 and the Core i3. Um, they've got a couple of the Pentium Gold and the Celeron processors for the low end. Um, you'll notice as you get down out of the Core i7 generation, Core i7 families, you start fading away or you start phasing out some of those turbo advantages that we were going to talk about a little bit. Um, and then finally, um, there's the T-series, which is essentially for uh, all-in-ones, uh, a little bit more space-contrained systems. Uh, those aren't necessarily the cheapest processes either, um, but you do have some of the turbo advantages there. So what we're seeing, um, again, in the turbo, uh, sp- in the turbo space is we're seeing a couple of things. We're seeing the uh, Turbo Boost. Let's see the uh, <clears throat> Turbo Boost Technology 2.0. We're seeing the Turbo Boost Max Technology 3.0, and we're seeing the Intel Thermal Velocity Boost. Uh, Turbo Boost Max Technology 3.0 has appeared in a couple of previous generations. Most of those big priced on the top end, you know, eight hundred dollars, thousand dollars of the X series and so forth. Turbo Boost Max Technology 3.0. Um, allows you to get into, um, you know, gets into those, those higher echelons of, of turbo. Um, and um, it basically allows you, to, allows the processor itself to pick uh, between, allows the processor and the operating system to pick not one, but in this case, two favored cores. These are the cores that are sort of the, the core that the chip knows can be uh, run at full speed. And so if they have to actually go to an environment where you're running a game or a, a single threaded application at uh, full speed and as fast as you can go, it's going to pick those cores. And um, I just want to point out that mm-hmm. for that, this is not just simply made up. Uh, originally when Intel implemented this, they actually went per CPU, right. went in and looked at each chip and mm-hmm. picked the best cores that they're, they're picking from. Right. So sure. Yeah. Now we're at uh, two cores. And then uh, we've got thermal velocity boost, which we've seen on the common like H chips. Uh, that uh, basically what it does is it looks, at least in the notebook space, it looked at the, some of the sensors attached to the, to the notebook uh, and would actually kick it up uh, two bins, 200 megahertz, uh, if the temperature was under a certain level. Um, there was a little bit of confusion with this, but it seems like it'll, it'll jump up uh, 200 megahertz in this case if it hits, uh, sorry, if it stays under 70 degrees centigrade. Um, so Celsius. If, what's that? Celsius. So, sorry. Ahead. All right, whatever. Centigrade Celsius. <clears throat> Anyways, uh, 70 degrees C. So essentially that's, you know, that's, that gets you up into the higher clock speeds that uh, Intel is trying to, to, to go at. Now, one thing that I don't know, um, I was just realizing this morning, they didn't say anything about coolers. Um, I don't know if there's going to be any sort of anything in the box or what that the options are going to be. Um, it was a little bit of a, we don't necessarily have to talk about it, but I think it's worth mentioning. Um, you know, Intel sometimes briefs um, a select group of reporters. This was sort of a, a, a 
basically everyone under the sun. Things got immediately leaked, um, and they really ran things very quickly. There wasn't a whole lot of time for questions, and some of the sort of the basics got left out. Again, uh, the 14 nanometer, which, you know, which plus plus it was, which generation, uh, the cooling aspects of it, some of the other things too. So, you know, we had to sort of follow up with uh, questions. So some of the things that you might be interested in, um, we may not know, uh, just because Intel hasn't necessarily told us. And of now, course, the, yeah, okay, ahead, sorry. No, I was going to say the big news about the socket and all this other stuff. Right. Sorry. Oh shit. I started about it. Sorry. Language. <laughs> yes, exactly. Sorry. Language. Exactly. Yes. No, absolutely. Yeah. So this is a different socket. So, uh, we've gone to, um, um, just LGA 1200. Thank you. LGA 1200. So I know I can't keep track either. I just yeah. called the old ones 11 five X because yeah, exactly. it was like 56, 55, <laughs> 51. I don't know. Yeah. So in addition to new power, in addition to, we're going to have a new socket, new boards. So <clears throat> that's additional, you know, but we have PCIe four though, Mark, I read, I read so many, so many leaks. It would have PCIe four and a nope. new, a new DMI. Mm-mm. No, no, no PCI four. We're back still on PCI three. Um, and if we go a little bit into sort of the additional features, what it does have, uh, this is something that we. This is something worth talking about. So, one of the things that Intel's trying to do is, I think, and this is my opinion, not in, what Intel's saying, is I think what it's trying to do is I think it's trying to maximize the time in which the chip stays in turbo mode. So, one of the things that it's done, and there's something unique that it's done, is it allows for per core hyperthreading toggle, uh, toggling. So in other words, for each core, you can toggle hyperthreading off for, you know, uh, and the, the idea here, I think, and Gordon, you know a little bit more about this than I do, I think, is that the idea is that it's, it optimize, it's designed to optimize performance on the cores where you're actually running the game or the application and minimizing the power on those that you're not. Is that right? Yeah, I mean, what they're doing by turning off the hyperthreading on, on a per core basis, which is is pretty unique from Intel, is um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> you put less of a load on that that single core, right? Because hyperthreading makes use of the unused resources of a CPU core, and of course, if you're going to use those resources, you're going to add more heat buildup to that single core. So they basically say, hey, you can switch it off. So yeah, you can probably hit really high clocks and stay there for a long time. With, with this feature, because again, you're able to turn off, say, they've determined at the fa- at the fab, core number seven is the best, hits right. the highest clocks, you turn off hyper-threading on just that core, mm-hmm. turning your 16 threads into 15, but that core will just hit those high clocks and stay there all day, that's mm-hmm. my guess. No, I think that's right, and I think that uh, one of the things they're trying to do is is focus, again, their they're, they're traditional one of their marketing messages is the fact that people want single core performance. People, uh, most games are optimized for a low, no, uh, a very few number of cores, very few take advantage of all the cores that uh, by implication their competitors offer. So if you can maximize the performance on a given core, you can go ahead and maximize the performance for a game. And so what yeah. they've done with this hyper threading is it apparently is not going to be available in the. It's not going to be available in in runtime. You're not going to be able to toggle it on, toggle it on and off in, in real time. And I think Gordon made the point yesterday that you know sort of yanking a CPU from a from a game is a bad idea. So you'll have to toggle it on uh, in BIOS. Uh, you know before you know before you actually boot and you have to reboot your system. Um, and it'll be part of probably it'll be part of the third party 
utilities that board makers are actually going to furnish. Um, not and necessarily X- XTU. Oh, really? I thought it might be an XTU. So you no, would- I was talking with their PR people yesterday, and it sounds like it's not going to be in there, but huh. um, at least for the beginning. Um, but it's going to be in those third-party utilities that board makers supply. Yeah, and I think one thing should be clear to people, you could turn off hyper-threading before on motherboards, but you could it's it was all or nothing. You turned right. off hyper-threading, period. So now you can get very granular with your hyper-threading uh, yeah, it's, enabling. It's- it's interesting, certainly, because of course, you know, hyperthreading and multiple multiple cores is exactly what, what AMD has been pushing for 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 months and years now. But this is something that uh, <laughs> it'll be interesting to see exactly what uh, really it'll be interesting to see what happens in testing. I mean, it sort of seems like you're going to have to do a lot more granular testing as far as flipping off cores, uh, or sorry, flipping off hyperthreading as well as you know measuring on a core by core basis. Yeah, and you know, I I think that sort of gets to really the the, the really the nut of this is because I know people are are they're here to everybody wants to sort of like oh whatever but the fact to me that intel came out and they said this is the fastest gaming cpu mm-hmm. now we can make all these claims we want we're we're media we don't make these things no one can sue us but uh if you're a company and you say this is the fastest thing out there you have to be able to at least point to uh something to prove that when a lawyer tries to sue you for you know for for making false claims Clearly, they have enough games, as Mark said, that they they said this makes it this makes it true. Mm-hmm. But I, I do want to talk about one thing that got pulled, which I think is fair game. Uh, in the original briefing among fifty or sixty, right. you know, uh, journalists across the globe, they made a claim that about sixty percent of games uh, really don't need uh, multi-core support. Right? Mm-hmm. That it really the vast majority of games are saying are single threaded, maybe two threaded, you know, if that. Yeah. Right. Later on they came and say, oh, that actually wasn't supposed to be on that slide. We don't mm-hmm. mean to publicize that. So um I still think it's fair game because you don't unring a bell when you're talking to the media. You don't say, hey, Area 51, we got UFOs there and then expect people not to say it. So yeah, I'm not really sure that's true, obviously, for the, the vast majority of, of AAA titles, or at least recent games, too. But there's a lot of things. I mean, think that, I think they were pulling things off Steam. And, you know, there's a lot of, like, 2D pixel art-ish games on there that, yeah, I can see running on a single core or, or even it's just a single thread. Um, uh, yeah. Are those the vast majority of games that people actually play? Well, maybe because they're cheap and they're free. But, you know, those aren't the ones that sell PCs. I mean, you're looking at the Red Deads and so forth. So. Right, and that that is very much one of those arguments we have with with PC gaming today, because there's a mm-hmm. crowd that thinks you need twelve, sixteen threads to run modern AAA games. Right. Uh, my argument is like generally, no, you don't need you don't need a thirty nine fifty X to to run most games, frankly. Right, and I wish it were true. I wish it were true. I don't really believe that. And the the reason I bring this up because I was like, whoa, sixty percent. Because I've been saying this for a while, people have been biting my ass for a long time for saying that, and I was like, "Where's your proof?" Intel, they're like, "Oh, we didn't mean to say that." And it's like, yeah, "Okay, well, right. I actually believe like sixty percent is probably not even right. I think it's probably seventy to eighty percent of games are sync one, two, three threads, right? And the AAA games is a different thing. Mm-hmm. But, you know, you're right. You know, eighty percent, ninety percent of people are not playing AAA games. They're playing a lot more, you know, games that have been out for years and years and years. Uh, and it doesn't, you know, you don't really need all these threads. So that's that's their legal argument for this. Well, and, and it still points to the whole, you know, Steam hardware survey where it's like, you know, 
a vast majority is still a 1080p the best or the the highest used gpu is igp you know what i mean it's it, right. i think it kind of points to that kind of thing yeah it's interesting too that one of the things they don't didn't talk about at all is not it's not in this chip at all and it's one of the things that was a was a an emphasis in ice lake and so forth is ai i mean if you're talking about games i would have think that actually one of the things that they would be talking about possibly promoting with work with game developers and engines and so forth is you know how ai can make for a better gaming experience i mean you could do everything from i mean i was just thinking about the way that you could actually you know work with say like i don't know <clears throat> do a you know look at uh you know the way dr disrespect handles PUBG or something of that sort where you're looking at creating sort of like a a doctor disrespect bot that goes ahead and interacts with uh, other players in the way that he does or something of that sort. I mean, there's some interesting things to do with AI and that's completely, completely, there's, there's nothing here in terms of that. Now I, there's nothing saying that they actually had to add AI here, but it's just interesting that, that this was sort of like the one thing they talked about in previous generations. And, you know, it's just, it's just not a feature here. I'm just wondering if it's going to be something that they, that they do in the future. I mean, it's, it's irrelevant. It's a bit of a sidetrack, but again, it was something that I kind of expected that I didn't actually see. Yeah, I think it sort of just sh- shows you the situation Intel is in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because let's be honest, it's awesome. We're getting ten cores now. We're getting hyperthreading everywhere. Everybody got hyperthreading. Great awesomeness, but this is essentially Coffee Lake with two more cores, right? It Which is. Yeah, you is is older. They don't have they don't have DL Boost. Nope. In these parts, they have them in the super high end, you know, server. They have them in the core i nine, the X parts. So they don't even really have that to sort of push that messaging. And I, I think one of the issues with that too is you want to talk about getting game developers to use sixteen threads of a of a gaming CPU. Mm-hmm. When they when are they going to do AI? Right. Yeah, it's right. just like it's just sort of like game developers. They always aim for the largest slice of the market because they want to sell more games. They don't want to like sell. They want to be like the original crisis and sell 500 copies mm. just to reviewers so that they could cry and that they want to sell millions of games. And the way you do that is you, you appeal to the largest crowd. So that's again, why I think people who argue you need 16 threads, eh, it's like sort of like, it would be like saying AI and all this stuff. This stuff. It's, 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 it goes really, really slowly. It has for years, unfortunately. Well, they don't I'm not have against it. And they don't have the transistors, too. I mean, come on. If you're looking at 14 nanometer, you don't want to go ahead and dedicate things that are just going to add more heat. Um, But again, we've sort of talked a little bit about uh, performance. And maybe now is a good time to talk about what they're actually talking about in terms of making that claim that the, uh, you know, their their high-end ships are the best, the the fastest gaming processor there. So, um, you know, again, we've got to go ahead and look at uh, what Intel has provided us, rather than, you know, doing our own testing at this point in time. there's a standard, you know, complement of benchmarks where they've gone ahead and com- uh, compared against their own gen over gen performance, as well as the sort of the five year old PC. So looking right now, we're looking at, uh, I think, the elite world, real world performance for gaming creating side. Thanks, Adam. Yep, got it. Uh, where we've got uh, comparisons against the 9900K and then the 7700K on the bottom. So and you can look at them right there. Everything from 10% in Battlegrounds, PUBG Battlegrounds up to 33% Mountain uh, Mountain Blade 2 Bannerlord. Um, faster 4K video editing. Um, so, um, you know, just, I mean, it's, you know, if you've got an old PC, Intel's making that claim that you want to go ahead and upgrade. Uh, nothing really fantastic here, but, you know, double-digit double digit increases from over the 9900 ser- or the 9th Gen series. Yeah, that's that's worth, I guess, you know, that's, that's something to be said, I suppose. 
the real interesting thing, though, I think, is the claim that they're making that, uh, you know, that high end um, 10900K is the world's fastest gaming processor. And they're what they've done here. And this is, of course, you know, is a little bit of a, a stretch to make because, you know, we've shown that the Ryzen chips are just destroying Intel in, in, in most, you know, in most comparisons. But I think that, you know, if you're seeing this, we have to sort of point out that this is a little bit of a marketing play here. Um, there's a, a number of games and game titles that Intel tested. Uh, we've listed them here in the story. And I think they're here on the screen too. Everything from Ashes of the, Ashes of the Singularity on top down to World War Z on the bottom with some games like Final or uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, Rise of the Tomb Raider, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, Tom Clancy's Rainbow Six Siege, so on and so forth. Um, the idea here is that they're making the claim based upon benchmarks that ran in all of these and the fact that they won in a majority of tests. So, you know, whether that's, I haven't counted them exactly. There's like, I don't know what, 30 or so there. So maybe they ran, they won 16 or 17. We don't know exactly how things were configured. It looks like there's a lot of 1080p gaming here going on. Um, You know, the configurations they say are exactly the same. Obviously there's some chipset differentiation, but they use the same, um, same system configurations, same, uh, I think it's an RTX uh, um, graphics GPU, same memory configurations. Right. 2080 TIs. These sorry. are 2080. Oh, they thought, ran 2080 sorry. TIs across TIs. the board. Yeah. Okay, TIs across the board. I didn't have the things right in front of me. So, yes, TIs across the board, pretty much the same specs. You know, I don't know how things are going to play out in the real world. I mean, it's an interesting claim to make. Um, but, again, I think maybe that if they can push things into turbo for a higher amount of time, maybe they can win some of these benchmarks, especially if these benchmarks are run in short periods of time uh, where that turbo is maximized. I don't know. What do you think? I, you know, I think, you know, again, when they they did the original uh, Core i9 9900K, Intel said it's the best gaming CPU, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. best means anything you can't get sued for. I called it the fastest because it was. Right. You know, they have they have 3950Xs. They have 3900Xs. They have all of these parts in their labs. They know exactly what these CPUs needed to be fastest, mm-hmm. which means higher frame rates. I sure. don't doubt that these are indeed the fastest because... They need to hit a certain clock speed to be faster in the, the list of games that you showed. And I'm sure they hit it because if they didn't, they get sued. Right. Right. So I'm, I don't doubt. And let's not, let's not forget even before these new 10th gen parts came out, Intel always sort of had that lead over uh Ryzen 3000 parts. Right. So they, they always had that sort of like in some games, 20% in some games, pretty close and some games you know was like five percent but they've always sort of had that small lead over amd's parts in most games my argument with 9900 ninth series versus ryzen is like yeah are you going to give up you know an ass load more sorry i'm going to use that language an ass load more cores to get five or ten percent more performance and then really only if you are running a 2080 Ti and you are playing at 1080p with a 240 hertz panel, yes, by all means, it is better. Even ninth gen was faster, but you had to be in this sort of small bubble. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess this part running at higher clocks is going to get them a little more. You mm. could probably make the argument that, yeah, you know, if you really are a 99% gamer and you only care, you're a competition gamer and you care about 300 hertz gaming, 
at 1080p with a 2080 Ti, or let's think about when 3080 Ti comes out. Intel is probably the better gaming chip. I, I, I don't doubt it. Intel will probably be the better gaming chip. But are you going to give up the rest of that? Your afterwards, you've played the best game match of your life. You now have to edit that video. Hey, mm-hmm. 10th Gen is going to do great. It's got 20 threads. But you know what? 16 threads is probably going to be better in a lot of things. And, of course, you know, in some of the lower end of, of Intel's of stack, you get 12 threads now with hyper-threading, but for the same money, you might be able to get 16 threads mm. out of AMD. And if you're going to do real-time streaming, there's all kind of weird, you know, like, well, best gaming, best streaming gaming. I mean, AMD could probably come back and say, we make the best uh, game streaming CPU because they outperform Intel at at sort of the $150 price range in streaming and gaming at the same time. That's that's sort of a, a kind of gaming. But I, I don't doubt if anybody, all the haters, I know everybody's like, oh, I want to see the Intel train wreck on 10th gen. But you got to realize they're not making this claim unless it's true. And I, I don't mm-hmm. doubt it. You take a you take a 9900 KS, you give it two more cores and you, you give it higher boost residency. It's going to be the fastest thing out there. But is it worth it to you is really the question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's a couple other things I think we uh, just wanted to mention too. I wanted to mention as well. I mean, we talked to um, overclocking. We talked a little bit about the, the fact that you can go ahead and turn off hyperthreading and so forth. There is some uh, interesting uh, PEG and DMI overclocking here, which we don't know too much about. Uh, the PEG is the PCI lanes, the graphics lanes out of the, G- the CPU. Um, that can be overclocked apparently. Um, and then the DMI interface, which again is sort of the standard dmi 3.0 interface that has been there for a while i think gordon you're a little bit disappointed by that but apparently you can overclock that and i don't know to what extent i don't know um i don't i haven't been able to get any granularity in terms of what can be done there um that's obviously going to impact uh both potentially ssds as well as graphics cards i think Gordon, again you made the point that yeah you don't necessarily want to overclock an interface to an ssd uh and risk uh, data corruption I think that's a valid point. I don't know if that's <laughs> something that will, people are going to be willing to play with, but you know, it's there. It's an it's an interesting utility. Um, you know, there's going that's going to factor into it at some point. It's yeah, I have an opinion there. What's I, I have an opinion because first I'm going to bring up this is something Nvidia tried with the original Enforce chipsets. They were overclocking these mm-hmm. interfaces. Intel made the point. It's like, are you crazy? Are you, that's like dangerous, right? You're I will say later on in Force 2 and uh, later on iterations did not have the ability to overclock PCIe. Um, I thought it was crazy because you're talking about overclocking uh, an interface that connects to your storage. Yeah. That's like Mm -hmm. extremely risky, right? That sounds insane. And the fact that Intel would even bring this up makes me think like, what? That's nuts. Um, And then, of course, it's like, what? This is just DMI you know, 3.0, that's like five years old. And it's like, what, uh, eight gig transfers. It's, it's not enough. I kind of had this thought last night that, that like, they, you know what? They have these meetings at Intel. Well, there's Zoom meetings now. And there's lawyers and there's product people and there's, there's like brass. And you're saying, look, this was the, this is a PCIe four part. We can hit PCIe four part. And somebody says, you know what? On a hot day, on this part of the globe, when this magnetic storm from the sun is coming, you might get some corrupted data. I'm not going to sign off on this because if you wipe out somebody's work, they're going to come sue us. Mm-hmm. And eventually what happened is like, I think, and this is just my theory, because why in the world would you ever talk about overclocking PCIe? I think somebody says, 
you know what? Let's not let's not actually sign off and say this does PCIe four. Even though we know this part probably can run at PCIe four speeds ninety nine point nine percent of the time, mm-hmm. but we're going to talk about you being able to overclock it. If you want to take that risk, that's up to you. We're now, now no longer legally bound if you lose data, but obviously if we were making it a feature, we think it's possible. It's not bad, but I really think they just got they got really 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 nervous about pushing a part that wasn't going to be. And people don't understand this about Intel. Intel has a lot of money. They have a lot of lawyers always looking to sue them. If they can't hit it 99.999% of the time, they're going to say no. So I think this might be a sign of that because why in the world would you ever want to overclock your, your PCIe to your SSD? That sounds like that's nuts, right? <laughs> well, essentially, there because, were, oh, go ahead. Yeah. No, there were overclockable SSDs at one point they talked mm-hmm. about. And, you know, it's just. Well, again, this is a sort of a casualty that the fact that they did a really short briefing. I mean, it was, um, you know, I, I was looking at my notes and there's just a, like a, I don't know, like a paragraph's worth of information as far as what they were saying about this thing. I mean, that really, you could really spend a good five to 10 minutes explaining what it is, what it can do for you, what the, what the, what the risks are. And as a matter of fact, I mean, um, I'll mention that they still have their performance tuning protection insurance program in place, but which is there to protect against you overclocking the chip itself. But, you know, I mean, the points you're making, I mean, it would be interesting to see if they actually extended that to, I don't know, SSDs, the bus, the chips. I don't know. I mean, just, I think your concerns, I mean, I, I totally agree with your concerns. It would be nice to have a little bit of a, of that, 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 it, that risk protection sort of extend to other components in the system. But I'm, I don't, I don't think that's going to happen. They haven't said they're going to, but. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things where they have, I mean, PCIe four was not easy as we mm-hmm. saw from AMD that do all these redrivers, the board prices went through the, went through the sky sure. initially. Uh, I, I guess they could do insurance, but then it's sort of like, you know, what does it look like if you're AMD? You're like, oh, it's not going to happen. I was just pie in the sky, wishing on my part. Oh no, I was yeah. just saying. But if you're AMD, it's like, oh, great. Look, we, you can run PCIe four SSDs on our stuff all day. With Intel, you can buy insurance and overclock up the near PCIe four speeds. It's just sort of like that. Just looks like a black eye coming in in marketing to me. So mm-hmm. that's mm-hmm. I. No, go ahead. I was going to say is maybe a good segue into talking about the chipsets a little bit. Yeah, if there's anything to be talked about other than that. <laughs> I th- I mean, we've seen I mean, you know, we've seen some of the leaks in the board manufacturers, you know, talk about these things in the, in, previously. So I'm not sure there's a whole lot here that's going to be necessarily brand new, but we've got uh, you know, we've got uh, four four chipsets, which we've got the Z490, which is essentially a common like version of the Z390, uh the H470, the B460 and the H410. Uh we've got sort of uh you know, specs and diagrams of all of these, except for the, uh, the last, uh, H410. Um, so, you know, again, PCI Express 3.0, uh, no PCIe 3.4.0, which people were sort of hoping for and expecting, uh, at least with the Z490. That's the only one that we've seen that supports memory and, uh, CPU overclocking. So I'm guessing that. I don't know if that's a capability they just didn't necessarily call out in the other chipsets, but I'm not expecting it to be there. Um, you know, it looks like 16 lanes, at least in the, sorry, the Z490, 16 lanes of PCI Express 3.0 hanging off the CPU, uh, an additional 24 lanes hanging off the, the chipset itself, uh, six SATA, six gigabits ports, 
Um, you've got a mix of six USB 3.2 Gen 2 by one ports. I hate those names. Uh, 10 by USB 3.2 Gen 1 by one, and then 14 USB 2.0. Things like uh, the 2.5G uh, Ethernet, uh, that's optional. Rapid storage with RAID 0, 1, and 5, I believe, also optional. Uh, the one thing that's there is if you, they are pushing is Wi-Fi 6, the, AX2, the AX201. That's this uh, Gig Plus stuff uh, that gets you into... God, multi-gigabits of Wi-Fi data probably far in extent, far in extent, uh, beyond what your router can actually give. Oh, and then, uh, sorry, the uh, the memory, which is the important, other important thing, spec'd up to uh, dual channel 2933 megahertz DDR4. So um, a little bit of a bump up there from the ninth gen stuff. Um, so, you know, some additional capabilities, nothing that I think is necessarily too exciting. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it just, I, more than anything, I mean, honestly, I think the CPUs are solid for what mm-hmm. we expected. The chipset is probably the most disappointing thing, I because, you know, there were reports of PCIe 4 and a faster DMI, and that this to me looks like it's essentially, you know, Z390 rebranded, right? Yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> so I think we'll probably start to see, uh, I think some of our, readers have pointed out already that we're starting to see boards being announced by the uh, various manufacturers. So um, I don't know, you know, one thing, other, th- other thing I was, I don't know if they, do they officially say when these things are going to ship? I mean, boards and CPUs. I think that's one of the details uh, I left out. I don't think they did, but I, my feeling is may we'll see these in may. Yeah, I mean, that seems reasonable. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, uh, we'll certainly see what happens as far as comparisons between the Ryzen 9 stuff and uh, what we're going here. But, um, I mean, you know, Intel's at least making claims that they're going to be competitive. That's just always good as far as consumers are concerned. We're going to have to see what the testing holds. Yeah, no, you always wait for reviews, as Brad would would yep. like to point out. Um, I would want to point out, I've got a couple just, I, last night it was around midnight and I sat down. It's like, you know, I'm going to look at the, the these parts, 10th gen versus 9th gen. You want to go with uh, slide A there, Adam? So this is basically I, I I went through and I looked at the sort of pertinent details of uh, uh, of the only the K parts. I'm not paying attention to the non K and all mm. the lower end parts. Ninth uh, 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 gen K versus tenth gen K, and <clears throat> it's actually you know I know a lot of people just kind of want to see the train wreck, but uh, for basically the same price, four hundred eighty eight dollars. Uh, you went from a, if you go from, if you were to buy a ninth gen, but if you waited till now to buy 10th gen, you get four more threads, two more cores, uh, a higher boost clock, 200 megahertz, higher base clock of 100 megahertz, and all core is 100 megahertz higher. Of course, your mm-hmm. TDPs go up by 30 watts. Uh, the big thing, of course, is that extra two cores get you a lower, I know this is crazy, I'm the only one who does it, but I like to think of this per thread cost how much you pay for each thread as though you were buying, I don't know, like a six pack of Coca-Cola at the store. You went from $30 to $24 in, on the 10900K. It used to be uh, $30. For the 9700K, this is the best part. If you were, to, if you bought a $374 9700K last year, if you waited till now, you now get hyper-threading. So you get, mm-hmm. it's the same core count with eight, but now you get hyper-threading. And 
It was the worst, one of the worst deals you could get last year. You were paying $47 practically per thread. This year, you're now getting $24 per thread. So you, with the hyperthreading, you're getting significantly more, you know, performance because you're getting hyperthreading. You're getting higher boost clock, higher base clock, 200 megahertz, 200 megahertz, higher all core, 100 megahertz, of course, significantly higher TDP. I don't think that's a huge issue for desktop people, especially with K parts. I mean, if you bought this high end $150 CLC, what do you want to do? Run it like a, at, at 10 watts? What's the point, right? Uh, also, again, uh, 9,600K, you get hyperthreading. So you're now getting a significant, significantly more threads per dollar at uh, $43 last year, now to $21. Again, higher base clock at 200 megahertz, higher, higher, higher boost of 200, higher base of 400. Mm-hmm. All core is 200 megahertz higher. And of course, that TDP swells up to 125 TDP, which people aren't happy about. My feelings like if you bought a nice cooler, you know what, what, you know, you kind of want to use it. So I know it's not optimal, but you, you do want to get all of that. It's sort of like Intel is squeezing all they can out of this without you really having to overclock that hard. But of course, the elephant in the room is how it stacks up against Ryzen. So slide B. I sort of thought, I looked at this 10900K versus Ryzen. I like, well, what do I compare this to? Well, obviously, it's probably based on price more than anything, because that's the only thing consumers care about. Uh, one big advantage for AMD is every single part here gets you a fairly decent cooler out of the box. It's almost like a free 30 to $40 for some people. Mm-hmm. Intel sort of needs to do that in some of their K parts. They have traditionally not given you coolers with K parts because you're going to go buy a fancy cooler. Why waste the, the one in the box? There are honestly people who do run the stock coolers, but 10900K versus a 3900X, you paying $39 more, plus you don't get the cooler. You're going down four, core, four threads, two cores. Your thread cost is about $25 versus about $19 for AMD. Boost clocks are significantly higher of, of uh, 500, 500 megahertz higher over 3900X. Base clock's about 200 megahertz higher. AMD doesn't officially say what their all-core is, but most people agree it's about 4,100. So the all-core clock of the 10900K, God, do I have that right? or have it, eh? I'm, I'm going to hope I have that right. 4.8 gigahertz versus 4.1 gigahertz. So 700 higher, 700 megahertz higher base clock. And of course, we know the TDP is going to go through the sky. It's 125. TDP, but that's probably well, well north of that when you're running it all, when it's running at all cores. Um, so 20, 20 watts on paper, but we know that's not going to be true. Mm-hmm. And then actually, they're almost, it gets a little more competitive. So 37, uh, 10700K versus a 3800X, $34 more. You don't get the cooler. Um, the core counts. Uh, are a little closer because you're looking at uh, 16 versus 8, and that's against the Ryzen 7 3800, which everybody said don't buy, buy the 3700X. But, you know, boost clocks and the all-core boost is where Intel has an advantage, uh, probably going to use more power. Yeah. But, you know, at least it's somewhat competitive. 9700K without hyperthreading just was like, what? It just could, did not could not stand up against any of Intel AMD's parts. This at least won't be as embarrassing, even if it might be slower in some things. It might be faster in some things. Looking at the uh, Core i5-10600K, 
which is a real sweet spot because it's $262. That's close enough, though. I think it goes against the Ryzen 7 3700X. That's $28 cheaper than the 3700X. Of course, you get the cooler with the 3700X. You might get a cooler with that K part. I don't think you will because it's a K part. Mm -hmm. But you're going to step down versus that 3700X, four threads and two cores. You're going to pay more per core, per thread. Uh, $22 versus $18. And your boost clocks will go up uh, 400 megahertz. You get a higher base clock. You're also going to get a higher all-core 400 megahertz, but you're looking at almost double the TDP at 125 watts, and it's probably not going to be 125 watts when you're you're pounding all 12 threads. No, it won't. I think, it's, uh, I think uh, Anantech was reporting that uh, 250 was a little bit more realistic when you're hitting all of them. Yeah, and that's sort of been Intel's thing is 125 is if you ran this under optimal conditions to run at the lower base clock. That's you might be able to run all we'll see. We'll see what the all core is. I, I don't know. I, I'll we'll have to see, but definitely cooling will be an issue, especially I don't think it's that problem at the high end because you're buying a five hundred dollar CPU, you're running custom loops. Do you wanna do you want a sixty five watt TDP part for your custom loop? It doesn't really make sense. Down at this price range, yeah, you're just going to run a $100 CLC. Yeah, it's going to be a problem. And looking at the uh, the interesting thing is the Core i5-10600K is priced where it's also going to go, go against the Ryzen 5 3600X, which is sort of everybody's sweetheart. The Ryzen 5 3600X is $62 cheaper, gives you the exact same thread and core count, it's much cheaper per thread. Intel gives you 400 higher boost, 300 higher base, $400, uh, 400 higher all core. But $62 is a lot of money. Um, and of course, higher TDP. So you're going to need better cooling. It, it's definitely tougher. It's definitely tougher, I think, for the 10600K against some of these parts. It's that $60 plus a cooler. That's $100 you can put toward your GPU or memory. Right. <clears throat> and yeah, then I mean, lots. Go yeah, ahead. go ahead. I the last part. S- oh, good. I was just going to say that. Yeah, I mean, I think that. I mean, the points that you're making, I mean, are, are the right ones. I mean, you've got to go ahead and factor in the cooling, the, the factor of the cooler. You got to factor in the additional board cost. Um, you know, it, for, I'm I'm looking at some of these these chips down at the, I mean, the i9 and the i7 level, and I, I, I would I would kind of like to see some of these additional boost capabilities migrate down to the i5. I mean, it just seems like those are the things that that's the sweet spot for for purchases. Um, you know, I mean, I know a 488 chip is a lot less than, say, the $1,000 that Intel was charging for an X-series chip. But, I mean, still, I mean, i5s are where people are sort of the sweet spot of these things. And I would I would like to see, I mean, if Intel was serious about this market, I would like to see it sort of make it the, you know, sort of throw a lot of these additional features at that particular space to go ahead and challenge AMD. And there's, they're, they're just not. I mean, they're sort, of, they're sort of going after that premium gamer market, which is, you know, helps them as far as their, their revenue is concerned. But it doesn't actually, you know, it's not really sort of the chip of the the, the chip of the people i suppose like amd is sort of trying to you know sort of trying to achieve and i think it's i think it's going to hurt them and it's sort of hurt, sort of hurt them in this generation yeah i agree with you because i know somebody there's essentially you have these armies of actuaries they're like insurance people right. looking at these huge tables and if they made the core i5 that 10600 which is has been the people's chip forever at 262 dollars you know, it used to be $230 for those K parts, you know, 2600K, every, mm-hmm. I mean, 2500K, everybody loved that CPU. 
But they just sort of just were like, you know, we're going to go crazy. We're going to make this. We're going to give you 12 threads, six cores. We'll go crazy with the clocks, right? Well, let's get you up to 5.3 on these, right? I know somebody says, well, that's going to hurt sales of the eight-core, you know, i7s. But, you know, maybe it won't because somebody's going to go, I really want, you know, actually having eight physical cores is better than six physical cores. Maybe it won't hurt it. And they have this part that's just sort of like knocks everybody on their butt, right? Like, well, this is actually awesome. You know, you got an i5 that's up past five gigahertz on two threads. It's gonna gonna do really well in a lot of gaming, but you know they sort of hold it back because they don't want to. They they probably want to sell more i7s. Than they do want i5s. It's still decent though. Four eight four eight boost on two threads out of a ten six hundred and i5 is it's it's gonna be a yep. good part for gaming. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then you're really only going up if you're only going against a thirty six hundred X. It can be closer because you're not going to get your it's clock clean on multi-threaded, but that 3700X at thirty dollars more with the cooler is gonna is gonna crush you an i5 and multi 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 core load. So it's sort of tough. Maybe you shave a little money off of that. I don't know, or or you give it a good cooler. I, I do want to get to the the new people's part, the real people's part. I know people say you need twelve threads. Okay, I agree with that for triple triple a games that that's good i would do it if i were doing a new but if i were on a hard budget you're looking down at core i3 range that new ryzen 3 3300x everybody's buzzing about because it's essentially was it's faster than a kb lake an older core i7 7700k for 120 bucks intel sort of like got two parts here you have the core i3 10300 for 143 dollars um you know, essentially, uh, hyper-threading, eight, core, eight threads, four cores. Clocks are almost the same, right? Uh, your Intel has about 100 megahertz boost and base and all-core advantage, probably over that 3300X is $20 more, plus the cooler, which is maybe 25 30 bucks. So that's $40. That's tough for that 10300, but that Core i3-10100 for $122, mm-hmm. These parts will come in the bundle cooler. I hope they're not the the normal hyper wimpy cooler that you sort of see from Intel. Um, but it is eight core, uh, eight thread, uh, four core. It's almost it's the same price as that Ryzen three thirty three hundred X. But uh, base clock is two hundred megahertz lower. Same TDP. That part actually may compete well with that Ryzen 3 3300X. Maybe. We'll see, right? But yeah, those there's it's very interesting. I mean, I, I still think they're gaming, they do have a gaming advantage. They wouldn't say this if they they're, you know, these indie AMD's parts are well known. They're gonna come out, they're gonna generally be faster the way they were on i9 uh, 9900K. Yep. <clears throat> So much to talk about. <laughs> yeah, lots and lots to talk about. We're we're running low on time, and I know we got to get yeah. to other stuff. Let's so. get to that Ryzen Seven review. Yeah, we, we actually Sorry, we can't do all. The, let's but, do uh, well, before before we get to that real quick. I I, I neglected uh, chat. I had some technical problems on my end, um, but VC Gesture gave us two dollars. Thank you. Said the optimum CPU for Flight Sim twenty twenty is sixteen threads. Uh, and then uh, LaSalle Rhymes the third gave us five dollars. Thank you. Uh, said loving the show. Looking for AMD to answer this uh, with the next gen Ryzen. 
Yeah, I agree that those next-gen Ryzen's have high expectations. I don't think they necessarily have to answer it. No, I don't either. To to be honest, there there's not there's nothing here to indicate that that oh my god, we've had a game changer with these tenth-gen parts. Yeah, this is just Intel making it less embarrassing because those ninth-gen parts without hyperthreading and those multi-core comparisons with Ryzen for three thousands were just embarrassing in a lot of things because their cost. They just weren't competitive. This gets them more competitive if you're doing a new build because you don't have to. You do have to buy a new motherboard. But I don't. He needs. Yeah. To, oh my god, we need to come out with new parts. Yeah. To compete with this, as I said, yeah. Ryzen's got a straight flush on the table, and then Intel's got two kings in its hands, hoping to draw two more. I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's got you know <clears throat> balls in its court. Mark, that's like how everybody, every 12-year-old plays poker. Yeah, <laughs> I got this. I got two kings. I got straight flush, but I, give me two. No, give me three. Give me three. Yep, I'm feeling lucky. <laughs> the odds of that are 0. <laughs> Yeah. All right, let, let's, uh, let's get to some laptop parts. Uh, you, you were, uh, we're, you were we're, I know, the heavy-duty stuff, but then uh, I, now you got the light stuff coming. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna blip through these really fast because you can go read the review on PCWorld.com this morning. Because uh, I don't, I want to hear about what is in the next version of Windows. Okay. Uh, we'll start off with slide one, R20, Cinebench R20. So quickly, this is an Acer Swift three based on a Ryzen 7 30 4700U part, eight gigs of LPDDR4 versus an XPS 137390 NNX with a uh, with a a Common Lake U six core and an XPS thirteen two and one lovely laptops with Ice Lake. These are essentially the royalty of laptops. They are almost always the fastest laptops you can get because Dell always swings for the fences against a six hundred and fifty dollar Acer Swift three. So Intel's essentially best U parts in Ice Lake and Common Lake U against. A mid-range AMD Ryzen 7, eight cores, no SMT. And you can see here, Cinebench R20 just smokes it, right? That's just, this is, again, a mid-range part that that is faster than AMD, than Intel's best i7U parts in a multi-threaded task. Uh, next slide, we're going to go through these really fast Cinebench R20 for audio listeners, it's essentially the same. Ryzen is a little bit faster. Cinebench R20 is harder, runs longer. Intel burns off a lot of its boost, so it doesn't have the advantage it has on the very old Cinebench R15. But for the most part, let's say it's essentially the same. Single-threaded performance, very close on heavier loads. If you go to lighter loads, Intel is likely to have a small advantage because they will run at higher clocks. But if you're going to do... Heavy-duty tasks like transcoding. Next slide. Handbrake 1.3.1. Doing an H.265 encode. <clears throat> Look at that. This is a Dell that XPS, H- man. This is a Dell XPS. Yeah. God. Yeah. These are these are the – this is a four-core Ice Lake and, an, and a six-core with hyper-threading. Common Lake U just getting destroyed by Ryzen 7. Right? That's just, that's just crushing. And the reason why is because – uh, transcoding at 4K to HEVC is a very heavy load. It takes, as you can see, what, 20, 30, 40, 40 minutes. So uh, that big boost advantage 
really, really burns off on these U parts as you run them longer and harder. The efficiency AMD is getting from its seven nanometer process <clears throat> just really helps. And of course, the, the 10 nanometer ice lake part is only got four cores. So hyperthreading helps, but it's not enough to beat four physical cores. And that's just not, it's just not a good look here on those heavier tasks. Uh, I also use QuickSync and AMD's VCE video coding engine. It's their new engine that they integrated into the Ryzen 4000 parts. This is a transcode, the same thing that you just previously saw, except we are now doing it using the media engines in the graphics cores. You know, as you can see, the advanced graphics cores in Ice Lake with Iris Plus, great graphics core. Yeah. VCE slightly faster with their media engine. It's not part of the graphics core. It's separate, but definitely a little bit faster. You could call it pretty close, pretty close. No embarrassment there for Ice Lake. Definitely older HD, not going to handle it. Uh, uh, I do want to point out awesome sauce with multi-core loads. PC Mark 8 we use to look at sort of boring stuff. If you're going to use Office, you're going to do Zoom calls. I'm doing this Zoom on a Whiskey Lake U laptop. It's fine. It's perfectly fine. I don't need an eight-core CPU to do Zoom. So we also run PC Mark uh, PC Mark Eight to sort of show you. It doesn't really matter if all you're doing is Zoom, Office, Chrome, normal stuff. Do you really need to go to the yardage and buy a laptop just for a Ryzen Eight with a core? Not necessarily. Ryzen Eight does great here. The laptops with the newer Chips actually do well because they have better media engines, but generally it doesn't really matter. Whiskey Lake, 8th Gen does fine. Honestly, KB Lake is fine for a lot of things people do on these thin laptops. Mm -hmm. But if you're doing heavy workloads, forget about it. We're going to do one quick uh, graphics benchmark, 3D Mark Skydiver graphics performance. I will say back and forth, I didn't get crazy into the gaming because, come on, are you really playing games on an Acer Swift 3 or an right. XPS 13 2 and one You're doing it wrong, frankly. You, one, are going to run Thunderbolt 3 with external GPU. Can't do that in Ryzen. But you know what? Go buy a big boat. Go buy a, uh, an Asus a ROG Zephyrus G4. 14, go buy <laughs> a GS66 with a real GPU in it. Don't play games on these laptops. I'm sorry. It's not going to be great. Still, it's a back and forth. Pretty even. Some things I saw here, 3D, 3D Mark Skydiver graphics. Uh, Ryzen 7 47GU with its Radeon Vega cores, slightly faster. Ice Lake with Iris Plus, slightly slower, but you can go back and forth. Some games, Iris Plus was faster, or some tests, Iris Plus was faster. Some things, um, Radeon was faster. World of Tanks, 19 by 10 medium. You know, again, slight advantage for uh, Ryzen 7. Ice Lake, not bad. As we know, Intel previous HD graphics, don't even try it. Don't even try it, folks, unless you have to. Then it's fine if that's all you can do. Uh, last couple slides, we're almost there. 4K video battery performance. This is a big advantage for Intel laptops. I won't say necessarily Intel parts, but as you can see, Ryzen 7 4700U does okay. Maybe what? Eight, nine hours? I can't count one, two, three, six, seven, eight, nine. But, you know, you're looking at that uh, XPS 13 2-in-1. It's up at like, what, 12 hours? And the XPS with a 4K panel, which eats about another third of battery life, is still giving you more battery life. Um, I will say, I don't necessarily think that is a Ryzen U issue because the next slide, 
I also compared a bunch of other laptops, and I also highlighted three previous Acer Swift 3 laptops, essentially built on the same platform, similar size batteries, but based on Whiskey Lake as Mm -hmm. well as, uh, what's a Whiskey Lake and an Ice Lake part. That Swift 3 is a $650 laptop. You're not getting the very best panel that you would out of an XPS. That's my guess out of a Spectre. You're not getting a one watt panel. It costs probably more money. You're getting lower cost. Maybe even the SSD isn't as efficient. They may not tune it as heavily. So as you can see, that Ryzen 7 in the Acer Swift 3 is actually very competitive with an Ice Lake Swift 3 with an Ice Lake part. And uh, it's fairly close to a Swift 3 with an i5 Whiskey Lake part. So I think it's actually, it's not necessarily uh, the CPU, it may be the laptop. So I think we'll have to see another five or six Ryzen 7 U-based laptops before we sort of like, okay, battery life is fine. But I'm thinking this is nothing disturbing to me. What was the fan, we, like, in, what was the fan like in the Swift 3? Was, there, was awesome. it prevalent? It was fantastic. Uh, okay. I ran, it's a budget laptop, $650. There is no go in and select ultra high performance. I did mm. the window slider to best performance. That's all I could. On both the XPS units, there is an ultra performance option. The, that kicks in the fans a lot sooner than you would on the default mode. Both of those laptops, that Common Lake U with six core 12 threads, every single run I would do that was heavy, it was always the first one to kick its fan on. Mm-hmm. And one of the issues I had with my house is it got really hot. We had heat wave. We don't have air conditioning here. Those fans on the on the Common Lake U always kicked on. The Iris Lake, the Iris was always kicking on as well. The fan on, just as it is on the uh, ROG Zephyrus G14 and the Swift 3, they are the most well-behaved laptops under load that I've ever seen. Yeah, I, found the, I saw the same thing. I saw the same thing with the, the previous Ryzen, Ryzen 3K stuff on the Surface Laptop 3 too. The fans were just almost non-existent. Everything was, it wasn't fanless, but it was, it was extremely well-behaved and so forth. But yeah, I mean, I think that it looks like we're seeing the same sort of behavior that we saw for the Ryzen 3K as far as battery life is concerned. I mean, the Intel parts just, uh, just, just, just top it. But as far as performance is concerned, uh, it looks like, uh, this chip is, is, is performing exceedingly well. So, um, it's, I think that, um, you know, from my standpoint, I mean, I, I prefer a long battery life, but honestly, what we're seeing here in terms of the differentiate the differentiation between the the Ryzen the forty seven hundred U and the and some of the the, the the Whiskey Lake parts and so forth, I mean, that's not five seventeen to four ninety. That's not really significant. I mean, that's yeah. just essentially the same. So, I mean, um, I mean, from my standpoint, yeah. that's a nice big win for for AMD in this in this in this standpoint. Yeah, I, I that's why I say everybody really needs to reserve judgment. I yeah. want to see Ryzen U in a high-end laptop. And that has been a problem where vendors don't want to go like, you know what? I can't sell your brand to consumers. They're not going to pay for Ryzen. This is the, this is the honest God truth. Consumers, companies will not pay for high-end Ryzen the way they will pay for high-end core. Mm-hmm, that's true. Right? People have no problems dropping a ton of money on Core i7 Whiskey-like parts for corporate markets because it's Intel, Intel safe. I know Intel. I buy Intel but I want to see Ryzen 7U in a laptop that at least has a one-watt panel, a high-end panel. And I think it's actually going to be somewhat mostly competitive. 
Uh, I do want to end on this last. Let's just go to the last chart. Well, yeah, real, is, real quick, we got uh, Eskimonster who gave us 40 uh, Danish crones, I think is what it is. All right. Uh, oh, and uh, loves the show. Thank so thank you, Eskimonster. Just wanted to hop in there real quick before we get to this last awesome chart. So tell us what it is, Gordon. So, oh, hmm. I'm, I say I've titled this one incorrectly. But it is actually Cinebench. Oh, maybe it is R20. Oh, maybe it's 50. I think it's actually 15. I probably gave you the wrong chart. But I basically took the, uh, yeah, this is probably the wrong chart. Anyway, I took the Acer Swift 3 with, um, <clears throat> I take the Acer Swift 3 with the Ryzen 7 4700U, and I compared no, actually, go to the last one. We'll skip all this. We don't. It, it, that's against Comet Lake U. It actually fights. It fights Comet Lake U to a standstill by the end, as you can see per you know per per thread as we go from one to many threads. We're going to go to slide twelve. Of course, it smokes uh, Ice Lake in multi-threaded core. It's, you know, essentially, we'll skip that thread. But we're going to go to uh, slide twelve now. So, this is a $650 Acer Swift 3 uh, against <laughs> Comet, uh, Comet Lake, or, uh, Coffee Lake H parts. So, against Core i7-9750H, Core i7-8750H, essentially same performance, 6-core, 12 threads, H parts, so 45-watt TDP against a 15-watt Ryzen 7 part. Yeah, there are definitely some configurations where a Ryzen 7 is faster. I believe this is actually Cinebench R15, not R20. But a 2.6 pound, $650 budget. Yeah, that's it. Ultra, it, it, is, it is running right there with 9750H, 8750H laptops with hyperthreading. And that's just, to me, it's stunning because the, you could not it doesn't make it doesn't make any sense right it's eight cores with no hyper threading against 45 watt six core 12 threads h parts so it's just the amazing things that in amd has been able to do with ryzen 4000 mobile it's just like that seven nanometer seven nanometer parts just paying huge dividends for them of course it won't compete in gaming buy a gaming laptop if you're even looking at this and thinking, oh i'm going to use it for gaming no don't buy any of these always buy for the GPU in a gaming laptop. So, but still in CPU loads, $650 laptop is running with $2,000 gaming laptops for CPU loads is, yeah. is nutty to me. I can't, you know, I can't necessarily say what laptop makers are going to charge for this, but I mean, it's, you know, you always look at uh, the opportunities to sort of uh, buy cheap uh, and to take advantage of, of low prices. I mean, we run deal stories all the day, every day. I mean, I think for this generation, there's going to be definitely a group a majority of people perhaps who just will not buy a Ryzen specifically because of the legacy issues they've had with performance. And it's possible, and I don't know this for a fact, but I say this just speculatively, that laptop makers will price them lower just to, to move them. And I think the combination of potentially that low price with the performance that offering with its, that Ryzen Mobile 4K is offering are going to make this sort of potentially the steal of this generation. I mean, I think that uh, for a lot of people, if they simply overcome the fact that it's just a, you know, if they buy carefully, if they're looking at the Ryzen 4K model, I mean, 
like you said, I mean, it just seems like a tremendous value. Um, and then, you know, you, if you potentially those laptop makers can, can plow that savings into additional features too, that will sort of maybe up the price to a, to, to parity, but will give you a little bit more for the money, a, a better panel, better audio and so forth. I mean, they're, it's going to take a generation or two for AMD's reputation to sort of filter through the main, you know, I think for the, the sort of the, 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 the general consumer, but uh, you know, over time, I mean, this is, this is a really impressive performance. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think it's, it is true because people always wonder, well, how much do these CPUs cost? We don't know. We don't build laptops, but to give you an idea that Acer Swift three with that I five um, ice lake part was $700 with essentially the same specs, you know, RAM, panel, storage, as the Acer Swift and the Swift 3 with the Ryzen 7, 8-core, no hyperthread, no SMT, is $650. Mm-hmm. So it's $50 less. So you sort of like, I don't know if that's Intel pricing or Intel name, right? So it's just simply they know like consumers will pay more for Intel name. But that's just, yeah, I will tell you, Swift 3 with that Ryzen 7 will crush that i5 Ice Lake. Uh, it, it's a little actually even in graphics because the i5 Ice Lake doesn't get the high end uh, Iris Plus. It doesn't get the high end Iris Plus. So I, I think, yeah, you're right, Mark. In budget, in sort of like that sub 700, sub 1000, uh, laptop makers or consumers will really benefit who buy Ryzen 7K, 4K because the, it is just clearly a much better budget part. Uh, I would argue at the high end, when you're looking again at the royalty of laptops, you don't buy a laptop for the CPU necessarily. You buy it for the panel. You buy it for yep. the keyboard. You mm-hmm. buy it for the build quality. There's a lot of things that go into very high-end uh, Intel laptops that, yeah, if I, I want all – if I want the most amount of CPU performance at the lowest cost and I want the most amount of graphics performance at the lowest cost, clearly AMD is going to be a better choice. But if I'm doing a Zoom call right now, I'm doing it on the HP uh, Dragonfly Elite. This this laptop's awesome. The fact that it has an eighth gen Whiskey Lake U processor in it, I don't know if I care. It's a it's a 360 with pen support, Thunderbolt. It's a, it's it's an incredible laptop with with cellular modem. If I'm buying that for my corporate mm. IT, my VP. I'm going to buy him this laptop because I don't want to get yelled at for buying him coming back and say, how come this has got plastic on it? I want a laptop with no plastic, right? That's kind of like that thing, right? So I think there's still a spot for Intel, but that's not necessarily because the CPU isn't as good. I think it's because the the CPUs are being integrated into some fantastic laptop designs. Uh, well, we, we have a, a special $20 from Haley, Harley oh, Rogers. Thank you. Thanks, Thank you man. so much. And, uh, and we'll ask, wash your car for that. Money. <laughs> yeah, and ask the question, uh, will any vendors have the guts to put a Ryzen 4U in a eight pound laptop this year? What do you think, Gordon? Or Mark? I think they will. I, I think, you know, a lot of things, laptop developments is they take an existing design. You look to how to maximize your, your profits. So they're going to take laptops that they have currently with Core i9s high end, and they're going to drop Horizon, and they're going to just cool it. This Asus Swift 3 had a single heat pipe, a single fan. Both Dells had, you know, two fans. Very, very, uh, very high end cooling. You take a Ryzen 9 4900H part with the cooling that you're seeing in some of these big 8, 10 pound laptops, and it may just scream like we've never seen, possibly. I don't know if that's true or not. 
but it just might. We'll see. Laptop makers are usually willing to take a risk. Uh, they'll go ahead and put out a single model or something of that sort with a CPU that's new or untested. Um, you know, we've seen that with Qualcomm stuff, for example. I mean, if it pans out, it pans out. Then you get a, you know, you get a, you get a, a part uh, for the next generation as well. If it doesn't pan out, it kind of fades away from the website. You never hear it again. So, yeah, I think it's possible. Um, they probably won't have too many of them. Uh, but if it succeeds well, it sells out, then all of a sudden they're going to be, you know, you look for that next generation to really commit to it. Uh, over on Discord, uh, Big Mon in the house uh, put up a post from a Lenovo Yoga Twitter uh, that showed the Yoga 14 with a 4800U at 27 watts matching the Core i9 in uh, in uh, Cinebench R20. Yeah, I can I <clears throat> I can see it. I mean, this, again, this is a $650 Swift 3 with a single heat pipe and fan that doesn't get loud. Not that I mean the fans turn on, but it just is not. It's not like you can hear it. Like it's just like. So yeah, I don't doubt it. Right. It's crazy, uh, but yeah, we're 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 running low on time. We we got to get yep. to some Windows 10 stuff. Okay. Uh, yeah, we can make this pretty so, quick as well. Yeah. Let's. Uh, yep. Let's switch it so over. every six months or so, we have a new, I was just, you know, I'm putting on my Microsoft hat right now. So every six months or so, we have a new feature update for Windows 10. This is Windows 10 version 2004, uh, also known as Windows 10 20H1, the code name, also known now as the Windows 10 May 2020 update. I know it's just like pick your poison at this point in time. Uh, the May 2020 update is actually, it's in release preview, which is a Windows Windows Insider uh, ring. It's the, basically the, it's ready to go, but we haven't actually released it ring. So if you actually want to join the Windows 10 Insider program, you can actually download this yourself. Um, you know, in 2019, we saw a lot of uh, meaningless releases. Um, both the spring and the fall releases were essentially, uh, there wasn't that much to them. The fall was essentially a service pack. Um, this generate this time around, they've had a little bit more time to work on it. Um, it sort of splits the difference between those who like brand new features, uh, brand new th- additions to the operating system, and those who say, you know what, I don't want anything to mess with my Windows. I've got it the way I want. Um, don't, me- don't touch it. Um, everything really this time around is sort of an optional feature or sort of an add-on to, uh, to, to, to basically say, you know, if, if you want to go ahead and use it, you can. If you don't want to use it, you don't have to. Um, I'm going to show off a couple of things. Hopefully, I'm going to try to share my screen uh, hopefully this goes well. It doesn't show off, uh, you know, just shows off what I wanted to show. It doesn't break or anything of that I'll, sort. I'll so cut the, the first thing if it shows anything. <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I'll go ahead. I've got it sort of ready to go here. So the first thing, the, 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 the hide, first thing, hide that folder, Mark. Hide yeah, that folder. Exactly. Yeah, it's fine. Um, the first thing we're going to show is actually a feature that again, you don't actually have to use. Um, and I think this, you're going to see this as sort of a theme for windows 10. Uh, the may 2020 update is, is sort of, building out features that have already been there or adding on to things that have already sort of been in place. Um, Windows subsystem for Linux was actually introduced a couple of, uh, couple of years ago, really. Um, and as an optional sort of a, a feature that you have to go into the uh, optional features to install, it downloads a few things. You have to reboot your PC. Um, and this time around, we have the Windows subsystem for Linux 2. The difference here is the fact that before it didn't actually have a Linux kernel that it was running on. This time it does. Um, it actually sort of interacts with your Windows operating system. Um, so you can go ahead and, and navigate through files and so forth. The thing of it, uh, the one thing that I think that we perhaps didn't make clear before that I want to emphasize here is that this is not 
Linux per se. You can run Linux off a, a virtual machine. You can dual boot into Linux. You can run Linux off a, a USB stick on your computer if you want. Uh, this is sort of a, a subset, a subsystem of that. And it's really optimized for text. Um, you can't run, uh, well, you can't, in, you can't run a GUI inside of it. You can actually use Windows, a Windows 10 app to sort of hook into it and uh, interact with it on a, on, a, on a GUI basis. But this is essentially a text. And let's see if we can just get it to work here. Um, because all right, I guess it's working right now. Can you guys see? I hope it, you can guys see Linux. Okay, great. Uh, I, I don't see Linux. I see Cortana. Uh, oh, you see Cortana. Hey, Cortana. Oh, okay. Hang on a second. Let me just go back to. Okay. Well, I actually, I'll tell you true. what. Let's go ahead and do Cortana then. You're seeing. Oh, I see what you're seeing. You're seeing this other screen here. I, I guess I clicked the wrong thing. Okay, so let's. I'll go back to Linux in a second. So this is the second thing. This is Cortana. Cortana's. Uh, well, let's put it. Let's put it simply. Cortana now sucks. Um, Cortana was never actually the best thing in the world. Most people didn't necessarily want to go ahead and yell at Cortana to go ahead and set an appointment for their uh, dermatologist. But now uh, Cortana is an app. You can go ahead and instead of it comes off the, the bottom of the screen here, you can resize the app and so forth. But um, you can't do a whole lot with it. Um, you can now go ahead and ask it math questions, which at the time of review, you couldn't. You can ask it things like stock prices. You can ask things of it like facts, general facts, how tall is the Eiffel Tower? Um, the one thing that you'll notice is that it doesn't actually understand where is it located. If you go into Google, if you go into your Android phone and ask uh, the same question, um, you ask Android, uh, how tall is the Eiffel Tower? And then you ask uh, Google, uh, where is it located? Google understands the context of what you're saying and actually goes ahead and provides you with the answer. One thing that Cortana does not do as well is it does not launch Alexa, which Alexa was built into Windows 10. It should be there if you don't have it, if you if you have your um, Windows 10 uh, operating system up and running and you haven't upgraded it to the new build, you can go ahead and launch Alexa and it'll go ahead and give you Amazon's assistant. If you want to go ahead and buy, try to buy toilet paper uh, at this point in time, you can go ahead and do that. Um, you can't, I know. Uh, and you can't go ahead and uh, create emails or even text, which is unfortunate. So, um, and then the hotkey, uh, you can't go into, you can't actually say the hot word uh, and launch Cortana orally. You have to go ahead and click the mic, which is both good and bad. Um, but for somebody who likes to yell at Cortana across the room and set appointments and things like that, it just doesn't work. So um, right now, essentially, Cortana is kind of a shadow of what, what, what it once was. So let's go ahead and try to get back into. I get a feeling Cortana's like kind of going to get, get called in to talk to the Bobs pretty soon. <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. CC says, uh, can I uninstall Cortana yet? You can't necessarily uninstall Cortana. You just don't have to use it. Um, it's just there. You can go ahead and it just sits down in your taskbar. You don't have to use it. That's fine. Um, you know, like I said, Few people care about Cortana at this point in time. Um, uh, everything essentially is Google World uh, and then Alexa as well. So um, Cortana has turned into a productivity assistant where it's going to go ahead and try to schedule things. But, uh, you know, right now, especially with the coronavirus, it seems like things have been sort of put on hold. And that's, you know, you're just that's where you're at. So <clears throat> I don't expect I don't I don't really hold out a whole lot of hope for Cortana in the future, but it is there and it's useful uh, to some extent. So this is now Windows subsystem for Linux 2. Um, and I'm running inside the new terminal app, which is a preview that you can download from the Windows store. The interesting thing about terminal is that now it takes over from a bunch of different things. Uh, you've got 
PowerShell, Command Prompt, the Azure Cloud Shell, which isn't really useful for consumers, and then Linux. Uh, you can download Ubuntu or another Linux distribution from the store and put it inside of here. And you'll notice that it even has a tabbed interface. If you've been following Windows, you'll notice that... Uh, uh, Microsoft was talking about sets as the sort of the replacement for command line and some of the other uh, general Windows apps, uh, the UWP apps within Windows. Uh, you've got a tabbed interface. That's, you know, it's kind of useful. Hopefully that means we're going to see something like that come to the, the operating system in the future, but not that big of a deal. Uh, again, Linux uh, text space running a few, uh, you know, text-based apps. Um, Unfortunately, I haven't been able to get things like Dwarf Fortress to run, although, uh, you know, some of the roguelike stuff apparently does. You can go ahead and, uh, let's see, my typing is going to be horrible since I've got this type, this tablet sort of perched on uh, the side of my desk. But let's go ahead and you can do things like, uh, let's uh, go ahead and combine a couple of things here. Let's see what it comes up with. Oh, there you go. You got the little sort of the, you know, <clears throat> cow fortune. You can type in your, you can get a weather forecast uh oops there's the sorry i just need to go ahead and put in a, a, a specific airport uh calendar you probably saw when i came on the screen um and you can go ahead and put into uh just things like um uh text editor you know emacs for example uh, the idea, according to Microsoft, was this was designed for people who use uh, Linux uh, as their daily workspace uh, to go ahead and enter things like text and so forth. But it was not designed for, uh, you know, GUI work. It was not designed to run all Linux apps. Um, they recommend that you run full-fledged Linux to do that. Or you can go ahead and, you, again, sort of just use a, I think it's a, essentially RDP into this uh, to give you a, a GUI interface as well. Uh, we have a so, question from the chat. Uh, sure. Who's it? Charlie Brown uh, gave us $5 and asked, uh, can't you run Linux from a persistent drive on Windows 10? You can run Linux else. Yes, you can run, you can run Linux uh, elsewhere. This is, again, not really... Again, this is Windows subsystem for Linux, which I want to make clear is just actually... Um, a subset of Linux. It's kind of like Linux S, Windows 10 S. Um, it does some things. Um, I find it useful because I am, is if you, you may be able to tell, I am sort of a Linux noob. I enjoy poking around within Linux and sort of figuring out what you can do. Um, I do not run Linux on a regular basis. I run Windows. I mean, that's just my preferred operating system of choice. Um, so, you know, it's been fun to sort of mess around with. The one thing that you do have to be a little bit careful of is that this is not like Windows Sandbox, which runs in a specific virtual machine and really is isolated from your OS. You can, you know, if you want to do something stupid and relate format your C drive, yes, you can. Um, so just be careful of that. That's a little bit different than, say, running in a virtual machine or a, uh, even from a USB stick. So, uh, again, quick, that was quickly... Uh, I, I have a question, Mark. Sure, go ahead. What's the, are they, I mean, because one of the reasons a lot of developers use Macs, besides the fact that, you know, who knows why it comes with avocado <laughs> toast, is I think the, you know, the command line and, you know, uh, BSD or whatever the heck they were based on is sort of friendly to what they're doing. Do you think Microsoft is trying to make a run at people that, you know, might be a more developer community that might be using Mac just because of the, the BSD underlining underpinnings? I think what Microsoft's trying to do, and this is not just specific to Windows subsystem for Linux, but most of their applications is they want you to be using Windows and then not to be distracted by a lot of other things. Um, so for example, I'm going to show ahead and show you, uh, let's see if I can go ahead. Uh, this looks right. I think this is right. 
this is yes okay so i mean what you're seeing right now is you're seeing a photo um let's see i think this is just make sure i get this right here uh just so you know mark we should this should probably be the last thing uh we should yeah it's gonna be the last yeah. thing that's fine cool um let's see we got here oh perfect okay so what we're looking at here is your is your phone and this is what this is going to sort of answer your question uh gordon so basically your phone is essentially a an app that connects to your phone and it allows you to go ahead and use and interact with your phone without taking it out of your pocket while still using windows and that's i think what microsoft's trying to achieve with uh windows system for linux and, and some of the other things as well it's not full-fledged Linux, just like your phone isn't your full-fledged phone environment. Um, but essentially what it's trying to do is it's trying to give you a window in some of these other features and these other operating systems and these other environments without actually sort of distracting you from whatever it might be doing, you might be doing on Windows. And um, this is uh, your phone. Again, and your phone has been in place for some time, but essentially the basic functionality has been polished and sort of built out for a, variety, for a majority of users. Um, you know, it's been sort of hanging around in beta. And one of the things that you're not seeing over here is the ability to share or interact with your phone screen. Microsoft has uh, sort of an odd relationship with Samsung where some of these features are actually built into and connect very well with Samsung phones like the Flex or the Galaxy phones or something of that sort. Uh, whereas this is obviously a OnePlus phone and you get sort of basic functionality. But again, Messages are there. This is actually my phone, uh, which I've sort of obviously edited. So I'm looking at, we're looking at screenshots here rather than, rather than my actual phone. Uh, messages, text, you know, uh, GIF, uh, picker and so forth. Notifications are there. Uh, again, your photos, uh, which you can go ahead and just basically, you know, copy from your phone into Windows if you want to go ahead and send them to somebody or interact with them. And then there's one thing that's going to be added on fairly soon, and that is uh, audio controls down at the bottom of your screen. It's going to work with Spotify and some other apps. It won't work with YouTube, I think, for right now. Um, but again, the other thing I'm, you're seeing here, this is a Galaxy Note 10. This is obviously a screenshot Microsoft's provided. Uh, notifications, messages, photos, and that phone screen, which you go ahead and go ahead and interact with. Um, you can go and interact with your phone. A couple of other things we want to talk about, but I'm not going to actually show. Uh, Windows 10, um, the May 2020 update, has the ability to do a cloud reset. Uh, if you really, really mess up your PC, you can go ahead and re-download Windows and go ahead and reset your PC. Currently, what you're doing is you're actually pulling an image from your existing PC. And if you've, your SSD or your hard drive is completely borked, uh, it allows you to re-download, whereas before you couldn't. And if you're really borked, you're kind of screwed. Um, the final thing that is interesting is something that's sort of under the hood that Brad's talked about before, which is support for DirectX ray tracing. This is essentially uh, ray tracing, which is now native to DirectX. It's called DirectX Ultimate. And uh, again, Brad's talked about it a little bit before. Essentially, what we're seeing right now is it's being built into the, the uh, Xbox Series X. It's now being built into Windows 10. Support's there. It has to be supported by developers and games, obviously, but the fundamentals are there for to be built upon in the future. And that's essentially, there's a lot more. Well, I shouldn't say a lot more. There's some more uh, in... Um, the review that which has been up really since January, since we've had this essentially a final form since November or even December of last year. Uh, again, it's in release preview and it'll be coming out uh, sometime in May. We don't actually have a date as yet.
So that is essentially, let's see if I can stop sharing my screen now. Nice. I like that reset from the cloud. That's That's been a, a Mac OS feature for maybe a year or two, which I think is very handy if you're resetting a Mac. I know people think I don't actually do that, but I have I have worked on people's Macs and reset them. I like that mm. feature, especially for Windows, because, you know, sometimes you just need to do a clean install, and, and to be able to do it from the cloud is, is awesome. Yeah, that's right. Let's see. All right, so that's essentially it. Now if I can figure out how to get Snapsimmer sharing my screen. <laughs> <laughs> where's, the fucking, where's the control on this damn thing? Where's the override? The, the override. override. Exactly. God. Oh, Wrath of Khan. So right. much better than the motion picture. Man, where the hell are we going to go? Uh, well, at least figuring that out, we have a uh, funny question from uh, Elvis, not related to this. Uh, is there a phone that won't track me during this COVID lockdown? No, because they can always ping your any phone you have that is registered to you. They will always be able to go to court. They they subpoena the the phone company and they say, "Look, look." And I will say this because I've talked to people involved with homicide tri- trials. You said you weren't there, but your phone was there, right? So why was you in your that tower? You said you were yeah, in the city. Yeah, because so. even dumb phones will ping a tower to get signal. So yeah, that's it. Somebody's yeah. tracing it somewhere. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I'm go, waiting for something embarrassing to show up here, Mark. No, I don't yeah, worry. I have seriously. I have the off switch uh, <laughs> ready. That's fine. It's just, <laughs> the control, the, the little pop of control seems to have disappeared, which is really weird. Oh well. Let's <laughs> see. So you can stare at my screen the whole time. You right mouse click anywhere? Uh, how about how about in the little uh, bubbles of Zoom? That's the thing. Well, let me just try. I'm gonna, I may lose you because I'm just trying to go back to the meeting. But then again, it's time for me to quit off. Anyways, let's see. <laughs> so can go return oh, Zoom. Ah, that's right. Let's see. I think I get. I think that does it. Hey, you there know what I want to know, Mark? <laughs> uh, finally, too many monitors. <laughs> can you get Windows to not install Skype? I mean, that would just be like. I mean, at this point, it's like a tattoo. Like they oh, make I you mean, tattoo it on you. It's like you know what? Every time I oh, every time I boot Windows, it's Skype, it's Teams. I mean, this stuff just sort of lives in there like a freaking tick. I mean, you know, it's just it's, yeah. But I, you can turn Teams off if you logged yeah. into Skype. You just it just it's always Skype, Skype for business, Teams. It's like you no. know we can, we criticize Google for all these stupid video messaging apps, and Microsoft just keeps tossing them at you too. I mean, it's just it, it is annoying. It really is. Yeah, yeah. That's why yep. Zoom is Zoom. I mean, that's why people are just like, ah, screw it. I'm just going to use Zoom. Well, speaking of Zoom, let's get off of this Zoom meeting because uh, we gotta we gotta go, Gordon. Take us out of here. Oh, sorry. Let me find my notes wherever they are. I was not paying attention. Check back next week for your fix of PC talk. I really need to change the highlighting on this. On the Full Nerd, for audio listeners, subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify or Stitcher. Send questions and comments to the Full Nerd at PCWorld.com. Also, leave a review every time you do. Mark gets lost in the Zoom controls. Thanks for coming. I'm Gordon Ung with Mark Hawkman. Thanks, guys. And Adam Patrick Murray's going to hit the all switch. Uh, thanks, everyone. Stay safe and eat plenty of food. Bye. 